Dear church family, there are few things that are better in this life for our souls than in the middle of the the busyness and the restlessness of life to stop, to pause, to be quiet. and to turn and to look upon heaven. If someone is in the middle of a difficult journey through treacherous terrain, there's few things that can energize that individual more than climbing to the top of some hill or some mountain and to see off in the distance the final destination, the end of the journey. And it's precisely the same way in the Christian life. We need, we need to look at heaven. We need to see our final destination. Oftentimes we live, you can picture it this way, surrounded by the the fog and the clouds and the rain of this life. And we get bogged down in it. But how good it is to lift our eyes up Look above it all and look to heaven. John Calvin said, when we lift up our hearts heavenward, then a thousand years begin to be like a moment. So I want to take a few minutes this afternoon service to do just that, to turn our eyes away from all the busyness, troubles, joys of this life, and look up to heaven. That's what we're given in our text of Revelation 7, verse 13 through 17, and the title for sermon this afternoon is Forever Comforted in the Lamb, forever comforted in the Lamb. First, suffering greatly for His name. Second, washed white in His blood. Third, dwelling always in His presence. And lastly, satisfied fully in His provision. Now, John, many of us know this if we've read through Revelation, is writing this book, this vision of Revelation on the Isle of Patmos. He's likely there in exile for his faith, and most theologians believe he wrote it either during the reign of Nero, which was around A.D. 64, or perhaps towards the end of the reign of the emperor Domitian, 
around A.D. 95. But both of those times, whichever it happened to be, were times of great trouble and great persecution of the church of Jesus Christ. Nero was known to crucify Christians. He was known to take some Christians and sew them up in wild animal skins and throw them into some sort of a pen and then set loose on them these wild, these big wild dogs to tear them to pieces. Some women were tied to mad bulls and dragged to death. Others, and many of us have heard of this, were covered in tar and burned as torches to light Nero's garden. And then even apart from those times of persecution, there were other troubles that the Christian church faced because when persecution started to lull, then at times those times of peace and comfort became breeding grounds for the serpent, for false teaching and for schism in the church and for lukewarmness. And so John, regardless of the exact context of when he was writing this book, is writing really a book of comfort to the people of God. Now just before our verses, verse 13 and on, we read about those 144,000. Children, you noticed that probably. The 144,000 who were sealed. 12,000 of this tribe. 12,000 of that tribe. 12,000 of this tribe. And John, as he's writing this symbolic book as revealed by the Spirit of God, is, is presenting there before his readers, his audience, both then and now, the absolute security of all the people of God. The 144,000 is a symbolic number pointing to the uncountable multitude of all of God's elect through all of time. And that ceiling is a symbol of setting apart God's people, of identifying God's people as God's people, of securing God's people as God's people forever. That's the symbolism of that seal. And so, persecution might arise under Nero or Domitian or any persecution in the centuries and millennia after that. Satan might arise with all his might and oppress the church as he may also in our country. Individual Christians might have great sin struggles, church struggles, personal struggles, but those who were gods were eternally secure through the seal of Jesus Christ. And as John sees these 144,000, the uncountable multitude, sealed, he sees another view. A view, as, as some commentators say, which is really the same view from a different perspective. 
After this, John says, I beheld, and lo, or behold, a great multitude, which no man could number. That's the 144,000. Of all nations and kindreds and people and tongue, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And as John's eyes are taking this in, evidently John reacted in some way. We don't know what he did, whether he made a sound of wonder, exclamation of what was going on. We, don't, we aren't told in the text, but we know he did something because we read that one of the elders answered him. One of the elders positioned around the throne. That elder there is, is likely an angel who is functioning as a heavenly representative of all God's people on earth. And he's responding to John and he says to John, who are these which are arrayed in white robes? And, and whence came they? Where did they come from? John says, Sir, thou knowest. These are they, the angel says here in our first point, which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. If you have your Bibles, please look at this verse with me. I want to read it to you. As, as literally as possible, so you can get the picture of what's going on here. Literally, the angel says, these are they coming. It's a present verb there, a present participle, an ongoing action. These are they coming right now, coming out of the great tribulation. That tribulation there is speaking of, of all the sufferings of God's people from the first coming of Jesus Christ to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Both the, the people coming out in John's day and all the way on. So these are they coming, present tense, out from the great tribulation and have washed past, have washed their robes and have made them white or whited them in the blood of the Lamb. And so this vision that is coming to John is, is really the entirety of God's elect worshiping around the throne. But at the same time, they're described as those who are present tense coming out of this great tribulation. And so it's a scene that for John is, is really caught between the present and the future, the, the already and that which is to come. In the present, in real life, John sees that, that these people in the churches who are in the middle of this great tribulation are, are present tense coming out of this tribulation. And yet at the same time, he sees this future scene of glory with, with all of these people coming out of the great tribulation in heaven, in glory-filled worship of the Lamb. You know, sometimes we read stories, children, you probably have this too, where you're reading and you get so caught up in, in the, the circumstances of the main character that we even begin to feel worry in our hearts for that character. 
And yet John, as he's, as he's looking at his people in the churches, he feels, he feels this worry for them, this concern for them as he's in exile on Patmos. And yet the angel here, if you will, fast forwards the story of history. Fast forwards the story of these, these suffering saints all the way to the end. And John discovers to his great joy that all is well. All are safe. All are secure, sealed in Jesus. What a comfort that must have been to John. What a comfort that must have been to those who, when this letter was sent around to the different churches, opened this and understood that it was speaking about them. You see, many, many of these people in John's time would have had terrible sufferings. Some had lost jobs. Some had, had lost friends because they became a Christian. Some had lost houses. Some had lost limbs, parents, children. All for Jesus Christ. Some had experienced great fights with sin, even wrestlings with Satan himself, with temptation. And, and John, as a good pastor who knew, knew his people, must have known that questions would have been on their minds. We have this, this promise of salvation in Jesus, but what's happening in our lives? This trouble, this persecution, loved ones taken away. Isn't God sovereign? Isn't He the Creator? How can this be happening to us? John, will, will Jesus keep us safe? Will we be secure? John receives this heavenly vision, and he, and he takes pen, puts it on paper, or quill to parchment, and he begins to write out this supernatural vision of the living God to fill his people with comfort. Yeah, there's trouble, there's problems, there's sin, but all is well. All is well. One day, you will be worshiping forever around the throne with Jesus. Do you need to hear that today? Persecution, it happens even in our country in a certain sense. Certainly trouble, certainly sin. Do you need to know this? That one day, if you are in Christ, you will worship around the throne of that Lamb. It's certain. What a comfort. And John, as he's hearing the angel speak, sees now in our second point that the angel carries on. And he said to me, these are they coming out from the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are they coming out from the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You see, there had been a time for that, that uncountable multitude that we're reading about where they had not been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Life had been all about them, their pleasures, their reputation, their hobbies, their glory, 
their bank accounts. They, they had interacted with God like that man in Jesus' parable who, who entered the wedding feast in his own garments. There had been a time where they, they had approached God with, with something of themselves, with their righteousness, with their church membership, with their experiences, with their feelings, with their ideas, something from themselves. But then for each of those around the throne, there came a time when the Spirit of God spoke to them the words of eternal life. And then sin wasn't enough anymore. They couldn't live in sin anymore. Living for the pleasures of this world wasn't enough anymore. Sin became too real. The reality of an eternal hell became too great. And they had to flee from the wrath which is to come. And they came, just as every Christian comes, by faith to the only place where forgiveness of sins can be found, and that is that perfect blood of Jesus Christ. And there by faith they wash themselves in the blood of the Lamb. Yes, the Spirit drew them, but also by faith they washed themselves in the blood of the Lamb. They applied that blood to their own hearts through faith by the Spirit of God. It was the only thing they could have that would satisfy them in life. They must have the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Now, what about you? Because isn't it true that in 2024, there are many, many people who only live for themselves, for pleasure, for the next Friday night, Saturday night, for their friends, for the next vehicle, to build their bank account, to build their business. Isn't it true? But what's the one thing that these people had that allowed them to be around the throne of the Lamb? They washed themselves in the blood of the Lamb. Have you done that? You see, these people believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and they experienced persecution, yes, for a short time, but now John sees that, that finally, like a dream that's forgotten, their life is done. And now they're around the throne of the, the, throne of the Lamb forever in glory. And now the song of their hearts is no longer me, 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 or sin, sin, sin or pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. There's a song that we sing around our home often. Maybe you sing it around yours. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's the only passport that will allow you into heaven. 
And so it's this blood that stands now in our third point as the foundation for what we read next. The angel says, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, therefore, are they before the throne of God and serve, or the word there is serve or worship, and worship him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. John, the angel is saying, we're having a conversation here. Do you know why this uncountable host is, is standing around the throne, worshiping God, dwelling with God, basking in his glory? Why, John? Why, why are they there? It's only because of the blood. That's why that therefore is there in verse 15. They were made white in the blood of the Lamb. And therefore are they before the throne of God and worship Him day and night in His temple. And as we, we look at this scene of glory, it's clear, isn't it, that, that there was nothing about compulsion or coercion that that made the people of God surround the throne, or that, that made God dwell with his people. God was not forced to dwell there around his people. The people were not forced to worship God, but they were there because they desired it. They longed to be with Jesus. This was really a fulfillment of that word of, in Song of Solomon, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. They had been separated, if you will, by time and space, but now they were together. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. This is a fulfillment of all those words. Finally, God is with his people in perfect joy. And you know, when we hear words like this and we see scenes like this, we sometimes look at our own lives and we say, well, it's, it seems almost impossible that I could be there one day worshiping. I'm such a sinner. I have so much guilt. How, how can God love me in such a way that, that He could have me personally around His throne one day like that? How could a holy God who is of purer eyes than to behold evil dwell with me? We know the answer, don't we? Ephesians 2. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. What's grace? Children, you probably learned this. What's grace? What's grace? Maybe you've heard of that explanation of grace God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Not at your expense, but at Christ's expense. That's why they were there. That's why we can one day go to be with Him, solely of grace. And that also means this, that when we 
if we are in Christ and we one day come to heaven, that heaven will be a place that is motivated and run and saturated with grace. There will be nothing of works righteousness in heaven. There won't be any boasting in heaven. There won't be any pride in heaven. There will just be grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sins. And congregation, the communion, the communion of the saints, and and the spiritual communion we will have with God will be a a communion so rich and so full that the the, the sweetest communion we have here on earth will feel like a, a dark and rainy day in comparison to that communion. The love of God that will fill the realm of heaven will so overwhelm us and purify us and energize us and satisfy us that there will be hardly words to properly express it. Jonathan Edwards once wrote that heaven will be a world of love. And we can think of it like this, that that the the love, even the best love that we have here below, will be like like a candle or, or a dying flashlight pointed up at the noonday sun. You think about that, children. The best relationship you have or you know of here below like a dying flashlight pointed to the sun. You can hardly see it. God's love will be so great in Christ Jesus, and we will be so filled with it that the love of this world will seem like nothing. And this this passage also teaches us, doesn't it, that heaven will be a reunion of love. A reunion of love. Sometimes we have family reunions at certain times of the year, And if you have a good family relationship, it's a wonderful time, isn't it? And yet heaven will be that ultimate, that ultimate reunion of love. A place where sinners who long to be with God and a God who long to have his people with him are finally reunited. Sometimes we we come home after a trip away, a long trip away, and we walk in through the front door, at least I do this, perhaps some of you do as well, and we say, home sweet but heaven will be the ultimate home sweet home it won't just be a place that we go to for a little while and then leave again it's a place that we will be forever that's why our text says that the people of God are going to worship him day and night just another way of saying all the time that means we won't wake up in the morning and have to leave our heavenly family We won't have to leave our loved ones. There won't be any night shifts in heaven taking us away from the joy and the fellowship with God and others. We will be with God day and night. Paul says, so will we ever be with the Lord. And and the wonder of it is this, that we won't ever get tired of it. We won't ever get tired of it because it will be so perfect. It will just get better and better and better. And an eternity will pass, and still another eternity will come. And we will continue to sit there in bliss under the wonderful love of God. You know, we speak of things like this, and we say, well, that's only seems to be the stuff of fairy tales, the stuff of dreams, to, to have a love that goes on forever, and that is so perfect and so permanent and, and so eternal. And yet isn't it true that even the dreams and the fairy tales of our world are simply the echo of our hearts that are longing for heaven? Because God designed us for heaven. 
He designed us not to be satisfied here in this broken world. He designed us to be satisfied with a world full of love, a world where Jesus dwells. Do you long for that? Do you long for that? Or is this world what you live for? Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And verse 16 and 17 in our last point describe some of the wonderful beauties of this provision of God through Jesus Christ. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall, neither will it be possible for the Son to light on them or any heat, speaking of sickness, death, damage. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, shall shepherd them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of water. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. You understand what that means? There won't be any more physical hunger. There won't be any more physical thirst. No more famine around this world. No more starvation. No more children dying in the streets. In third world countries. Or even in our countries. No more moms weeping over babies that they don't have the ability to feed. Also no more relational thirst. No more empty hearts. No more bitter hearts. No more broken hearts. No more hard conversations. No more bitter accusations. No more empty I love you's. And no more spiritual thirst. No more dry devotions. No more empty worship services. No more cold prayers. No more emotionless Lord's suppers. No more falling back into sin again and again and again. No more temptation. No more temptation to be tempted. No more public sins. No more private sins. No more games with the devil. No more making a mock of the gospel. No more grieving of the spirit. No more drifting away from Christ. And there will be no more sickness. No more injury. No more disease. That means no more flu bugs. No more colds. No more infections. No more arthritis. No more broken bones. No more mysterious ailments that the doctors just can't properly diagnose. No more miscarriages. No more heart attacks. No more cancer. No more plane crashes. Bike accidents. Car accidents. No more natural disasters. No more phone calls for help. No more sirens in the night. And there will be no more tears, our text says. No more regrets over poor decisions. No more tears over the sins of our youth. No more grief over mistakes in parenting. No more fears for our children. No more frustration with our friends. No more sleepless nights. No more tired days, no more pain at all, 
The Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed us and guide us into living waters. And God will wipe away all tears from our eyes. Do you know that comfort? Do you know that comfort? Is that your only comfort in life and in death? Robert Murray McShane died at the young age of 29, but he wrote these beautiful words of this hymn. And I will close with these words. He says, the sands of time are sinking. The dawn of heaven breaks. The summer morn I've sighed for. The fair, sweet morn awakes. Dark, dark hath been the midnight, but day spring is at hand, and glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. The king there in his beauty, without a veil is seen. It were a well-spent journey, though seven deaths lay between. The lamb with his fair army doth on Mount Zion stand, and glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. O Christ, he is the fountain, the deep, deep well of love. The streams on earth I've tasted, more deep I'll drink above. There to an ocean fullness, his mercy doth expand. And glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. Oh, I am my beloved's, and my beloved's mine. He brings a poor, vile sinner into his house of wine. I stand upon his merit. I know no other stand, not e'en where glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. The bride eyes not her garments, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory but on my King of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. The Lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. Amen. Lord, we long for the day when our faith will be made sight and where we will forever be with the Lord. For those today who know nothing of this comfort and who are content with the things of the world, Lord, would you not prick them? Show them how empty this life is how short this life is. And may they run to the only fountain opened for sin and for uncleanness, the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those who may long for eternity, Lord, that their hearts might be filled with the vision of heaven and of the glory of the Lamb. Forgive us, Lord, of our sins. Strengthen us on the way. 
Go with each family in the coming work week. Keep us from sin. Bless us with constancy in serving the Lord. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll sing now Salt from Psalter 32, all verses. Psalter 32, all verses.